Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, Good morning, church family. We're about to dive into a six-week series on discipleship, and the mission of our church is to be disciples making disciples. So this whole series is very core. It's, it's at the core, the center of who we are as a church and what we ought to be doing. So this is an important conversation in the life of our church. Today, the principle of discipleship that we want to point out is that discipleship happens personally. Discipleship is personal. Discipling needs to be personal. The tagline we have for this series is discipleship, how you help me follow him. If you're not following Jesus, it's going to be an awful lot more difficult to encourage anybody around you to follow Jesus. So really where discipleship starts is with you personally. And your discipleship, your devotion, your following of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. And this conversation can go no further if we don't understand this point right here. That discipleship, first and foremost, is personal. I want to just take a moment before we dive right in. It's really easy at the start of these sermon series just to go gung-ho excitement and jump right in. But I, I... really want God to work through this conversation in the life of our church family. So why don't we just take some time now and and we're going to pray for this sermon series, for this message time, for the scripture that we're going to dig into today. Um, let's, Let's just start with some quiet moments before God. God, as we come to your word now this morning, we just want to take an inventory of where we're at. It may have been a long week uh, for many of us. It's funny how life can get so busy. Maybe we're tired from a work day. Maybe the spring sports schedule in our family's lives has just picked up. Maybe we just feel in a constant state of rush these days. God, would you convict our hearts of that? Would you show us the areas in our life where we need to slow down? We need to take time. Remembering that you will finish what you've begun. As the song we sang this morning, we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. You're gonna finish that work God, would you help us to take time now to tune our hearts to your word? Holy Spirit, would you be working? 
God, would you help us as a church family in this mission to be disciples, making disciples? God, I feel some conviction in that this morning. It's so easy to subconsciously think that we can just turn discipleship into a format or a resource or a program or an event and as we shuffle people through, somehow they're discipled. But discipleship is so much more personal than that. It's a work of your spirit, your calling, your provision in our place. And that happens personally in the heart, the mind and the life of each person gathered here today. So God, as we take a moment and we consider ourselves personally and where we're at today and in this season of life, especially in conjunction with our mission as a church, how is our discipleship, God? Reveal our hearts, Father. Give us the courage to make the necessary changes. God, we thank you so much for these things for our church family. For this time in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, brought some props today because somebody mentioned props last Sunday. So I figured we're starting a new sermon series. We should probably have some props make this thing stick. Are you, are you visual learners? Do visuals help you? This is not sponsored by Christmas Tree Shop. But it is a good spot, isn't it? All right. Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Uh, we made our way through the Gospel of John this winter. And as you go through the Gospels, it leads really nicely in the storyline into the book of Acts. So that's where we're going to begin. The early church. The foundations of the early church. Acts chapter 1. and We'll start in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Just that far. So the book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. Luke is a doctor. He's a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, the same Luke who recorded the Acts of the Apostles also recorded the Gospel of Luke. So this is one in the same Author. And when you put those two books together, it makes up 27.5% of the content in the New Testament. So Luke recorded the majority of content by a single author in the New Testament. So that's a little fact you can tuck away. If it ever becomes useful to you, you can pull it out. Uh, most people assume it was the Apostle Paul with all of his letters to churches, but it was this doctor named Luke. Luke is writing to Theophilus. And the name Theophilus is Theo. Philus, which means friend of God. And obviously, Theophilus is a Christian companion to Luke, and he's also the one whom the Gospel of Luke was written to and addressed to as well. Oh, excellent Theophilus, it was written to. The book of Acts is to be read as a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It's like the second act. You're supposed to read the Gospel of Luke, all that Jesus did, and then you jump in 
to the Acts of the Apostles. All that Jesus began to do and to teach, and then we're following it up with what Jesus continued to do through the lives of the apostles. And the commentator McLaren says that this title that has been adopted to the book, Acts of the Apostles, should really be considered the Acts of Jesus through the apostles. Jesus began his teaching, his ministry, his miracles, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, When you get into the Acts of the Apostles, it's a continuation of what Jesus was accomplishing in his mission through the lives of the apostles and the disciples and the followers of Christ. So it's a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, Jesus, all that he began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, Whom he had chosen. Whom he had chosen. Isn't it incredible that Jesus chose people to carry on his mission to reach people? Just take a step back and consider the fact that God, his redemptive plan for humanity has chosen to use humanity in his plan to save humanity. Isn't it incredible that even though God doesn't need us, he wants us and he chooses to use us in his mission? God could save the world without us, but instead he's chosen to save the world through us, carrying the message of Jesus Christ to the four corners of the earth. God has chosen to use you even though he doesn't need you. He loves you. He wants you. He has called you into his mission to be a disciple, making a disciple. This is the first point that I want to make from verse 2. God called human beings to be co-workers for his mission in the world. Commentator Benson calls the apostles the prime ministers of God's kingdom, the chief instruments of extending it to the world. So verse 2 says, Jesus gave them commands through the Holy Spirit, the apostles whom he had chosen. The term chosen is the Greek word eklego, meaning to be called out. To be called out, to be selected, to be picked, to be called out of the world. So I have this phone here. Does does the receiver actually, does the handheld reach that far? (laughs) Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Um, I was at my grandparents' place and they, they have something like this except it's the craziest thing. They have an extension cord coming from this part. It goes into the unit that's on the wall So you can only use it when you're at the head of the table in the dining room. I watched my grandfather use it. It was was pretty funny, but... Hello? Hello? Yes? Yes. Hi. Yeah. It's Josh. Oh, hey! How are you doing? You saw the game last night, eh? That second goal off the skate. What a joke, huh? Oh, okay. Easy, easy. Don't use that language. All right. No, I'm not busy. I'm not doing anything. Okay. All right. I'll call you back. Love you, mom. 
Um, my my brother-in-law will often call or text when I'm preaching a sermon. Uh, he attends another church, and he will often call or text just to see if my cell phone's on while I'm up here preaching. I really appreciate that. Uh, the first principle of discipleship that we're digging into today is that discipleship happens personally, personally. To get a personal call from a loved one or someone you admire, it's a personal thing, voice to voice. It's personal. Do you know God is calling? That's where discipleship begins. God calls each one of us to salvation through the gift of his son, through the conviction of the spirit, when we respond by faith through grace in his act of love on the cross, we call that salvation. It's a personal conversation with God from your heart to his heart. A call that God has initiated by sending his son. While we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. Your sin is forever forgiven and God the Father adopts you as his child. And I know that he's calling you. Look at these verses. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is when we turn from sin and we embrace God's call, the Savior's sacrifice in our place, God's call of salvation. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. God is calling humanity to salvation, to the good news of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection in our place. It's a personal call that God impresses on your heart. You respond to his call personally through faith. Your parents can't make that decision for you. Being in a church service doesn't make that decision for you. Um, being baptized as an infant doesn't make that decision for you. It's a personal decision of faith. It's answering God's call of salvation. But also, in there as well, is a call to ministry. When God calls and you answer in faith, there's also a call to ministry. Jesus gave his life for you, and in response, we give our life to him. God saves us through the death of his son on the cross. And as he rose from the grave, he gives us new life. And now in turn, it's our prerogative to use that life to spread that message to others who've not heard. To be a disciple who makes a disciple. These calls go hand in hand. God gives you life. You give him yours. God saves your soul. And now it's up to you to take that message to the world. Jesus gave his life for you, and the only fitting response is to spend our lives living for him. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. This is Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So we're saved and we're called. God calls us to salvation and then he calls us to work. He calls us into his mission. He calls us into his purpose for our life, our gospel mission, calling to ministry. Discipleship begins with salvation and develops with a calling and purpose that God has for our lives. It's like Jesus choosing the apostles, giving them commands and missions. So God calls us to be involved in his mission so what part is God calling you to play in his mission? I mentioned a missions trip to New York City last week, and I've been on other missions trips and ministry trips uh, down to Dominican Republic and Bermuda and to Ontario, and I got lots of opportunities through those trips to exercise the gifts of the spirit that God has placed within me, and it was through those trips, through those experiences, through being stretched out of my teenage shy personality to put those gifts to work and see God work, that's where I really experienced my call to ministry was through those missions trips. That was the ringtone that I needed in my ear. That's, that's where I needed to be to hear God's call on my life. And I, I want to speak to the young adults in the room and teens in the room. We, we have this conference coming up that we've been talking about, this Fellowship Atlantic Regional Conference. And the conference is going to talk about what God is doing in our region here, but also what's happening across our country and around the world. The regional conference is focused on church planting and church health in our region talking about the future of our region and, and how we see God working in the next five years here in Atlantic Canada, I want to encourage you to be a part of it because this could be where you hear God's call on your life. Hearing from ministry leaders and missionaries and pastors and church planters talk about how God is working right now and how we hope to see God work in the future. And I'm praying that it will inspire some calling and purpose and mission on the hearts of some, some of our young people. So I want to encourage you to be there. Discipleship begins with God's call of salvation and his call to mission, and it's personal. Nobody else can answer that call for you. Nobody else can pick up the phone and take a message and pass it on to you. You need to answer that call. It's a personal thing. All right, let's move on. Verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now, it would be 10 days before Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come upon God's people. Do you remember how difficult patience was as a kid? 
whether it's waiting for Christmas or waiting for Friday to get out of school, or maybe you remember your first experience at a theme park with your family. You arrive at the gate, you park the car, you make sure you got all your stuff. And then what do mom and dad want to do? They want to find a spot to sit, to put all the stuff. They want to talk about the plan for the day and what time we're going to meet for lunch. And all you can hear is the people going by on the roller coaster or the people lining up for the water slide. And it's like, oh, come on, can't we get there yet? Yeah, we got it? All right, let's go. But if, if you don't know the plan, then you're not going to know when to meet up with your parents. But just imagine being God for a moment. Your creator of humanity, you watch Adam and Eve as they choose the forbidden fruit and sin's curse enters the world. And then for thousands of years through Old Testament history, the plan of redemption is unfolding and it reaches this climax when Jesus dies on the cross for sin. And three days later, he rises from the grave and then 40 days have passed. And in scripture, 40 is the number of testing so 40 days proves that Jesus has risen from the, from the dead and he is truly alive, presenting himself in many proofs. And now you got to wait 10 more days. <laughs> it's like, haven't we waited long enough? Like, can't we just go? Jesus has risen from the dead. He's restored Peter on the beach. We're back together. We're all in one place. Let's, let's get this mission started. What are we waiting for now? And Jesus tells them, no, no, you've got to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, promised of the Father. Now, if Jesus is telling the apostles to wait a week and a half, it must be something pretty important, right? Something they can't go without. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Otherwise, it's, it's pointless to you. Promises are, are pretty personal, aren't they? Wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Ten more days. Wait until Pentecost. This, this is a promise that Jesus referenced multiple times with the disciples. Really what Jesus is implying here by asking the apostles to wait for the Holy Spirit is that there's no sense going on in the mission without the Holy Spirit. It's pointless. It's really a waste of time without the power and provision of the Holy Spirit. Don't leave the city without him because he is the change agent. He's the one who's going to accomplish this mission of being disciples, making disciples. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to build his church through the apostles, empowering them, equipping them. He's the one with which you will be equipped in order to serve the mission. This is another thing that happens the moment we trust Christ. We're saved, we're called to mission, and we receive the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. Never to be removed, never to be plucked out, kept, held. God's spirit is ours forever by faith. Jesus said to the apostles, you will be baptized with the promised Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, before Jesus paid the ultimate price for sin and they were looking ahead to the coming Messiah by faith, 
the function of the Holy Spirit was quite different than it is now in the age of grace in the New Testament in the church age. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain people at certain times for a certain purpose, but did not remain always with the people. That's why King David prays, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But in the New Testament, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, after Pentecost, which we're about to get to, that Jesus is telling the apostles to wait for, we are sealed by the Spirit. He is our guarantee of salvation until the day we inherit it. He's our guarantee of redemption. He's never going to leave us. He's with us always and forever, as Jesus promised to the disciples. And he is the equipper, the empowerer. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. So, when the apostles had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We call that the Great Commission. Steve spoke on that specifically from Matthew 28 just two weeks ago. Here's why they had to wait for the Spirit. Because they needed the Spirit's power. The Greek word there is dunamis. means power, strength, might, ability, energy. It's where we get our English term dynamite from. The power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. If God's calling you to do it, then you better believe he's going to equip you with the power to be able to do it. If you have God's spirit, you have all the power you need to be a disciple who makes disciples. So, I've got this dumbbell here. About 15 pounds. Not bad, right? Um, maybe you've got some fitness equipment at home, do you? Anybody have like a uh, treadmill or an elliptical machine. Maybe you ordered that DVD series as seen on TV that came with that uh, parachute bungee cord that you're supposed to be able to wrap around half your body and get an incredible full body workout in less than 10 minutes. You seen that one on TV? I've gotta be honest. Um, this is the first time I've picked up this dumbbell in like a month and a half. Maybe your treadmill has turned into more of a clothes hanger or your elliptical is buried behind so many boxes that it's more work to get to the elliptical than it is to use the elliptical. And maybe that uh, DVD workout package that you ordered on TV is still in the cellophane wrapper. And uh, the uh, bungee paracord that came with it, you're not really sure how to get it out of the package, so it's just been sitting there since the new year. I don't know, maybe that's been your experience. Isn't that so many of our experiences with the Holy Spirit? Wait in Jerusalem, receive the power, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But then we never really use it. Maybe we're not sure how to use the power of God's Spirit. Maybe we've grieved the Spirit with boxes of sin in our life that make it so hard to get to and access. 
Maybe we've quenched the power of the spirit by hitting the snooze button on the alarm so many times that we don't even hear the alarm anymore. Coming out of COVID, we, uh, we observed this whole COVID fatigue thing, right? Everybody's just tired. Uh, medically, it happens when you have COVID, you just sense the energy being sucked out of you. But socially, it happens as well. It's like we're, we're hesitant to jump back in. We, we don't have the energy level that we once had. We don't want to lead the busy schedules and busy lives that we once led. We just, we just don't have it in us anymore. And Jesus is saying, look, before you get out there on mission, in my mission, you need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit because you're not going to be able to do this thing on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to equip you with the power to be a disciple who makes disciples. And the Holy Spirit has all the power to be a disciple who makes disciples. But maybe we get it in our head, look, this is going to be hard. I don't have the strength. I'm going to hit snooze. I'm going to put another piece of clothing on the treadmill. I'm not going to pick up the dumbbell. I just don't have the strength to do it. And Jesus is saying it's not about your strength. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. You ever have one of those jobs that you just put off for so long because you think it's going to be so hard and then when you actually do it, you're like, oh, I should have done that a long time ago. You ever experienced that? We had this fence on our property because the previous owner had dogs. And it was kind of in an awkward spot. We wanted to move it. It closed in a weird section of the yard. And I'm thinking this is going to be a huge project. It's this steel chain link fence. Uh, These posts are probably buried in cement four feet down. It's going to be absolutely impossible. How am I going to do this? So I'm watching YouTube videos, people using car jacks to try and jack them up out of the ground. Uh, Somebody used a ratchet strap around a board and then used the board like kind of this lever to pull it out. So I'm thinking, okay, I don't have a car jack, but I do have a piece of two by four and a strap. So I'm going to try that out. But then you keep putting it off because this is going to take a whole day. It's going to be so much effort. What do I do with this thing when I get it out? Well, I finally decided it was time to do it. I got my ratchet strap, I got the two by four, I went over to the first fence post, this steel post like two inches in diameter down into the ground, I'm thinking there's a big piece of cement down there. I hook it up, I go to pull it, and it couldn't have been 10 inches in the ground, and it just went and popped right out. And I took all of those fence posts out in like 12 minutes, 15 minutes. And then I reinstalled them in another area of the yard and it just took an afternoon because there was no cement. It wasn't that difficult. And I had been procrastinating and putting off something that I thought that I didn't have the power to do. But when I just ended up getting out there and doing it, I realized, oh wow, I can actually do this and accomplish the job. I wonder if being a disciple who makes disciples is kind of like that when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. If we would just get out there, if we would just put ourselves in an experience where we're a bit stretched, like on a missions trip or a ministry opportunity, what if we were to experience the power of the Holy Spirit working through us so that, wow, this burden is easy. The yoke is easy. The burden is light. Somehow through the power of the Spirit, this this is happening. This is dynamite. This is powerful. And it's not based on my strength. The spirit is the power by which we accomplish the mission. 
The Spirit is necessary enough to put the mission on hold for 10 days. Jesus told the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go so that the Spirit may come. Here's some of the powerful functions of the Holy Spirit that Jesus listed to the disciples. John chapter 16 and verse 8. Jesus tells the disciples that when he comes, the Spirit of God, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, we look at somebody who needs to hear the gospel and we think, man, that's going to be so difficult. I'm just going to wait on that one, procrastinate a little bit. I'm going to try and get some more training to try and figure out how to do this because it's going to be so hard. But it's really the power of the Spirit that's going to do the work. If we're just planting seeds and watering and God's the one who actually gives the growth, we just need to get at it. Conviction. Well, that person probably isn't going to believe. They don't believe. How are they going to believe this? Well, actually, it's the Spirit's job to cause faith in that individual. Well, how are they going to see Jesus? How am I going to present them with this way of living? Well, actually, it's the Spirit's job to convict them of that. Well, they're stuck in so much sin, it seems like the enemy has such a grip on their life. Well, actually, it's the Spirit's job to convict them of that. We just have to give them the message and let the Spirit work through that ministry because it's the Spirit that brings the power and accomplishes the mission. So God calls us to salvation. He calls us into mission. The Spirit equips us with the power for the mission. And now we're at verse 9 of Acts chapter 1. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus ascends into heaven. He leaves the apostles with their mission. But in the same breath, the angels remind them that Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to come again. Jesus was not going to leave them on their own for good. Matthew 28 and verse 18, the verses that Steve preached from two weeks ago. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised his presence with his disciples to the end of the world, always with them. He's not going to leave them alone. John chapter 14 and verse 18, Jesus promises them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. 
Do you see how personal this is? That Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You're not going to be left as an orphan. You're not given this command and said, okay, I'll come back and check on you. Never. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit's empowering you. God is calling you to his mission. Jesus is with us. He saved us. It's his blood that cleanses us. It's his resurrection that brought us life. It's his good news that we carry. It's his cross that we carry. We identify with Christ. That's what the term Christian means. It means little Christ, a representer, an ambassador of Christ. We go into the world representing Jesus, serving as his hands and feet. Together, we're the body of Christ. Now, I got one other item here to demonstrate this. This is Roos. This, this is my son's favorite stuffed animal, and he's had him forever. Uh, it's Bernie's mountain dog. He hails from the land of Ikea, <laughs> and his name is Roos, and my son's name is Reese, so it's Reese and Roos. And Reese and Roos have been buddies forever. Uh, if you can see by his, his neck, he's, he's had a lot of love over the years. And if ever we go on vacation or they go to the grandparents' house, got to make sure Roos is with Reese. Because Reese, <laughs> he's, he's getting to be a bigger boy now. But there was a time when Reese would not go to sleep without Roos. Roos had to be by his side. It was Reese and Roos always together. And if they weren't, you better know where that little stuffed animal is. Because you can't buy another one at the store like Roos, even though he looks the same. I don't know, I guess it's got a certain smell, a certain feel at this point. But it just makes me think of our relationship with Jesus, that he's always with us. I think of Psalm chapter 23. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a, a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all my days. Jesus tells the parable of the, the good shepherd, leaves the 99 to go find the one who was lost, brings him back on his shoulders. Jesus is the good shepherd. He always goes with us. He's not going to leave us. He's not sending us out on his mission without his presence. We have the calling of the Father. We have the empowering of the Spirit. We have the presence of Jesus going with us. You say, well, how do we have the presence of Jesus going with us? Well, his banner over us is love. It's his message that we're carrying to the world in his name because of what he accomplished on the cross. It's only provided through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. None of this is possible without him. This whole mission is in and through Jesus. He's behind us, he's before us, he's all around us, he prepares the way for us. So we have the call of the Father to salvation and to ministry. We have the power of the Spirit to accomplish the ministry, to equip us for ministry. And then when we're sent to serve, Jesus goes with us, before us. We go in his name with his message. Now, as, as part of this discipleship series, um, we've got some curriculum that goes along with it. We've got a, 
a six-week discussion guide that you can use. You can use with your life group, three questions and multiple scriptures to look up that tie in with every sermon through this series. You can grab that at the table uh, out in the lobby or it's already been sent to you in the faith newsletter. If you receive that every Thursday, if you don't, you can sign up. But we also have this booklet series that ties in really well with the message today. The first one is called to follow. God is calling you in salvation, but he's also calling you to follow him in mission and ministry. Then we have this booklet, Equipped to Grow. The Holy Spirit equips us with the power to grow, to be his disciple, to make disciples. And then this, this final booklet, Sent to Serve, about how Jesus is going with us as we go on his mission for him, in his name, because of him. Discipleship is so much more than a resource, than a booklet, but we want to provide these resources to bolster this conversation because this is a really important conversation in the life of our church. God calls us, his Holy Spirit empowers us, and Jesus goes with us. This is all very personal, and it begins with you and it begins with me. We're called to follow because God calls us to salvation and mission. We're equipped to grow because the Holy Spirit is the power by which we are discipled and we make disciples. We're sent to serve. We talked at length about this booklet when we did our Say Yes campaign last April. Maybe you remember that. Jesus is sending us, but he's going before us, behind us, beside us, with us. So here's my big point as I close, and we're going to be finished for this morning. Discipleship happens personally. Discipling is personal. Salvation is personal. Calling is personal. Equipping is personal. Sending is personal. It's your personal decision. No one can force you to give your life to God. No one can force you to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. No one can force you to follow Jesus' leading. Discipleship happens personally. Your heart answering the call of God's heart to you. Let me tell you, his heart for you is love. Your personal experience of the power of the Holy Spirit gifting you and equipping you for specific ministry that you're called to, that's all personal. The personal presence of Jesus in and through your life. Do you realize God is a person? God is spirit. God is Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One essence in three parts. I've heard it described like water. Same molecules, the same chemistry, the same makeup, but you can see it in three different forms. Solid, liquid, and gas. Water vapor, rain, ice. But it's the same essence. And God is three in one. God the Father calls us. God the Holy Spirit empowers us. Jesus provides the way and goes with us. Do you understand that this is a personal relationship because it's your decision, but it's also a personal relationship because God is a person. And he wants to relate with you. In fact, he designed humanity with this part that is able to relate to God. We are body, soul, and spirit. We're spirits so that we can 
relate to God and have a relationship with God. Discipling happens personally. We're going to leave it there. Next week, we're going to get into more of the relational aspect of discipleship and how it happens in community. It starts with you, yes, but then you can't do it alone, as Jason pointed out this morning, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. All right, we'll close this sermon time in prayer. God, I want to thank you so much for what you've done for us. God, we thank you for your calling over our lives. God, if, if there are those here who have not responded to your call personally in faith, would you encourage them to do so? Holy Spirit, would you, would you convict them? Would you show them that this is the only way for their lives? This is the only way to real, abundant life is through responding to your call of salvation. God, thank you that you initiated that call by sending your son. While we were stuck in sin, Jesus died for us. Thank you that we can... We can respond to that call by faith and we can have a personal conversation with you. And the Bible says, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Holy Spirit, thank you that you empower us. Thank you that you give us the strength, you give us the energy, you give us the dynamite power to be able to accomplish the mission. We can't do it in our own strength. We might as well wait in Jerusalem because there's no point moving forward without your Holy Spirit. So Spirit, would you show us where you're at work in our life and in the lives of others? Jesus, thank you so much that all of this is accomplished because of your death, burial, and resurrection. The fact that your shed blood cleanses us from sin. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is, is within us. We have God's spirit dwelling in us. And Jesus, you go with us wherever we go. We represent you. We're your hands and feet. We carry your message to the world. God, help us to do so by the power of your spirit, in tune with the call of the heart of the Father. God, would you help us in our personal discipleship today? God, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.